This morning we wrap up our, this is our third and final week of a series of six basic life principles. And I have to give credit where credit is due. As, as my professor told me one time, you know, you, I say, well, you know, Kendall has always said this, and I might quote Kendall, and the second time that you, you preach and teach something, you might say, well, I've always heard it said this. And then by the third time, well, I've always said, amen. And so this is kind of out of the norm for me. But one of the things is I heard a message a while back. I have to be fed too, right? I have to be preaching and teaching, but I also have to sit back and just listen and and be preached to as well. And so I heard a message, uh, this particular message by uh, Dr. Ted Trailer at Olive Baptist Church down in Florida. I've heard him speak at um, preaching conferences, a great man of God, preaches with boldness and clarity. And I was just really encouraged by the points that he made. Um, and so he gave inspiration to this message, right? And so I give him credit for that. And I tell you, you know, some people, the day and time in which we live, there are men of God who get in pulpits just like this, who go on the Internet, control P, print it out, and read it word for word. I'm in several Facebook groups church communicators and pastors to pastors, and people will come on there and say, what do we do? We just realize that our pastor is printing his message off the Internet and reading it verbatim. We need to pray for those men. But I tell you, and I give credit where credit is due, because I don't want you to think that, um, that this was all me, amen? And it should always, must always be God. But also there's nothing new under the sun. And as my other, it was the same professor that taught me about the quotes, he said, you know, he knows a good sermon when he can steal one. So, I mean, I'm just saying. When you, when you have one, and it impacted my life in, in just the way he preached and taught this. So I give him all credit, and I'm sorry to give that disclaimer and to make it so long, but I want you to know that. And I just want you to be praying. Also, this morning, I forgot to mention, we need to be praying for uh, the Wilson family. Jared Wilson, he was an advocate for uh, suicide prevention and uh, pastor, and uh, he took his own life. And so I just pray uh, for his family. We need to be praying for his church, for his family. But friends, I don't know if you realize, but at one point, and I don't know, you know, South Carolina, we want to be first in something. And I heard um, this past year that we are number one in pastoral suicides. That is not a number that we want to be number one in. And isn't it sad that there are so many of those that it's, that it's a statistic and that someone's tracking. So pray for me. Be, not being selfish, not trying to shine the spotlight on me, but pray for me. Pray for, encourage your friends to pray for their pastor. And encourage those that you know to go to other churches to pray for their leadership. Amen? You never know the battle that someone fights. And Jared Wilson is an example of that. Someone who was an advocate for suicide prevention. And he just took his own life. So this morning, let's dive in. Let's look at... uh, We've been talking about six basic life principles. We've been in the book of Proverbs. And I just want to remind you that as we go into the book of Proverbs, there are some uh, challenges whenever we're trying to go into Proverbs because there's varied literary forms, right? You have poems and brief parables. I can't say that word ever, Um, especially together in that sentence. I've butchered it every 
this is the third week I've butchered it anyway. Pointed questions, comparison, and personification. And so really quickly, I want to run through the four points that we've made really quick. Why do I do that? Well, one, I need it because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm starting to prepare and it's like, wait a second, why well, preach on this past Sunday? You know, so it's, it's, uh, it hopefully solidifies things. As we hear things, as we're reminded of things, I don't know about you, but you forget so much even after, you know, you leave the church service. You say, well, what did he say? What was that point? But also you need to know that the enemy is there trying to steal that away too. Amen? And so um, we don't need to let the enemy um, do that. We need to be mindful of that, but we also need to make sure that the cares of the world and anxiety and other things that go on in our lives don't steal and weed and, and rob us of those things. So the first principle that we talked about a few weeks ago uh, was the obedience principle. We said as we focus on Christ and pursue Him with obedience, He takes care of everything else. Then we talked about the kindness principle. We said that we're to put kindness in two places, that we're to wear it around our neck and that we're to put it in our heart. Ultimately, that we're to show it outwardly, but we're to keep it inwardly. And all of these are taken from the text. Uh, every two verses, there was a principle. Then uh, uh, last week, we talked about, well, two weeks ago, we talked about the lordship principle. And we said uh, we were reminded of um, what it means to be Lord. That's he's our master. And so we just have to ask ourselves, is he guiding you? Or are you guiding yourself? You know, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Is He the Lord of your life? Are, is He guiding you or are you guiding yourself? And then we're reminded as our friends at Clemson University say, are we all in? You know, it's all or nothing. God doesn't want half of your heart. He doesn't want half of you. He wants it all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The fourth principle that we talked about was the humility principle. The humility principle. And we said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Dr. Trailer, he said that when we really understand grace, you'll fall on your face. I don't know about you, but when you really understand God's grace and you realize what Jesus did for you, You'll understand grace. And when you understand grace, you will fall on your face. Jesus said three different times that whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so this morning, I want us to look at the last two principles um, in verses 9 through 12. In verses 9 through 12, we are in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 9 through 12, and we will unpack two principles as well. And so starting in verse 9, Solomon is saying to his son, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son... As he says over and over again in these first few chapters, because he's writing to his son, Solomon says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof, for the, love, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the first principle this morning that we're going to see is in verse 9 and 10, we see the generosity principle. The generosity principle. And so, 
Solomon is saying, honor the Lord. Well, let's just stop right there. And let's look at that word honor. In 1 Timothy 1.17, we see, to the king of the ages. And listen to how Paul is describing to Timothy who God is. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What does it mean to honor someone? Well, it means that there's respect or there's reverence. There's respect or there's reverence. It's a social term describing how we evaluate one another. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes our eyes, we, it goes to show we don't read every word. And so when I was reading and studying this, I thought it said evaluate, right? But it said that we evaluate, that we, um, sorry, it said evaluate, but I thought it said elevate, elevate. Somehow or another, I read that and I thought, well, what, that is what it does mean to honor someone, that you're elevating them. They're, they're, they're above you. They're, they're worthy of that respect. They're worthy of that reverence. You see, the root of this particular word in Proverbs literally means heavy or weighty. And as we might say, as you've heard it said, that is to give weight to someone, to give stock to someone, to give attention, to give focus. And so ultimately, when we talk about honor, it is to grant a person a position of respect and, listen, authority in one's life. That's what it means to honor God. It means that there's reverence, that there's respect, and that He has authority in your life. Listen to this. As I was studying... um, I ran across um, these particular notes, and I really wanted to share them with you. While honor is an internal attitude of respect, courtesy, and reverence, it should be accompanied by appropriate attention or even obedience. Honor without such action is incomplete. It is lip service. It is lip service. In Isaiah chapter 29... We find these words. So in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, if you're taking notes. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Because this, people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. You see, as this, as this commentator was writing, you might say that you honor the Lord. And there might be some degree of respect or reverence. But is there obedience? Are you just giving the Lord lip service? Right? Are you honoring Him with your mouth and with your lips? But is your heart far from Him? Only you can answer that question. God the Father, for example, is honored when people do things that please Him. Paul tells the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, he tells them this. He, He reminds them, he says, You are not your own, for you were bought 
with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, friends, many people, many people, well, let's, let's hold off there for a second. So honor the Lord with what? With your wealth and the first fruits of your produce. The first fruits of your produce. So honor him with your wealth. I want to remind you this morning that you are wealthier than you think you are. You are wealthier than you think you are. When you stop and count your blessings, you will realize how wealthy you really are. Friends, it is not, your wealth is not found in your bank account. It is not found in your 401k. It is not found in your stock portfolio. It is not, it's not found in how many credit cards you have in your wallet. Your wealth is found in the blessings that God has given you. You see, many people, if they can afford to donate anything after their bills are paid, they do so. These people may be sincere and contribute willingly, but listen, they are not obeying what God says. God wants the first part of their income. Why? Because this demonstrates that God, not possessions, have first place in our lives. And that our resources belong to Him. Listen, friends, we are only managers. Be a good manager. I have a shirt that's from um, Dave Ramsey's ministry, which is all about helping people become financially stable through Christ. Um, principles. And it says, be a good manager. You're, we're to manage well. We're to lead well. We're to lead our family well. And we're to glorify God with our incomes. You see, friends, we're to invest in the eternal, not in the wood, hay, and stubble of this world. And that is why, as I think back, just a quote from Dave Ramsey's ministry, and that's why I'm thankful for the time that Kendall and I went through financial peace. I would go through it again. It is a great program. If you've ever heard of it, I would recommend it. It is a wonderful investment. But Dave Ramsey says this. He says, we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't like. Listen, friends, the reason that most churches are struggling is because generations. How many of you in here this morning are over 60 years old? Raise your hand if you can. If you're over 60 years old, raise your hand. All right, look around. All right, you put your hands down. So the reason the younger generations are not giving is because they can't. They financially do not have it. And so this part of this thing, this generosity principle, and you'll hear me saying in a few minutes, teach it to your children Teach it to your grandchildren. Show them the way. Show them how to be givers. One church that I filled in for one time, I served on a a gentleman's uh, ordination council, and he went out of town or was sick, and he called me. He knew he was going to be gone that Sunday. I went and preached, and a beautiful thing happened. They took up an offering, but they took up 
the children helped take up the offering and the children contributed to the offering. And so what was beautiful was you heard this clanging sound all around the church as grandmamas and granddaddies and parents had given their grandchildren spare change. And so you would hear it, clink, 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 clink. You would hear it as it would go through the sanctuary. And it was a beautiful picture. And what were they doing? They were doing what Solomon is saying. Teach this to your children. Teach them how to give. Establish that early. Establish that early. So honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. I just got to stop and pause for a second. I do not know how Ted Trailer did all six points in like a 38-minute sermon. Amen? Because, I mean, I took these six points and we've done three weeks and I just feel rushed to get through them. There's so much here. There's so much meat. You see, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your, of your produce. See, God wants the best. In the New Living Translation, it says, with the best part of everything you produce. First fruits. It's practicing, it's the practice of giving God the first and the best. And most people just give Him their leftovers. God's Word says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to ask you this morning. If you don't have money to give, how about I give you some? How about I give you some? What if I gave you $1,440 tomorrow? Now, I think we'd have a packed church, Amen. If I said, show up at the church tomorrow and I'm going to give you $1,440, do you think some people would show up? Now, my question is, could you find a place to spend it? Could you find a place for that $1,440 to go? Would you invest it? Would you blow it? Would you give some of it away? What would you do with it? If I gave you $1,440... What would you do? Friends, God gives us 1,440 minutes every day. What are you doing with them? You know, I've heard the example given and they give it at a higher amount, but I don't have, think in the reference of seconds. He's giving you 86,400 seconds. That was 10 seconds. An hour of TV, 60 minutes or 3,600 seconds. An hour. Are you, are you using some of those 60 minutes or those 360 seconds? Are you using it to go to church? Are you using it to be in Sunday school? Are you using that wisely to be in a small group? Are you inviting a friend to lunch? Are you visiting a shut-in? Are you volunteering in the community? 
Like I told you a second ago, I've heard people talk about the 86400 Well, I don't have. If I stood up here and said I was going to give you $86,400, that is not believable. But think about that. 1,440 minutes every day. You use it or lose it. You can't, bank, you can't roll it to the next day. You can't bank it. You can't say, well, I'm going to use some today, I'll use some tomorrow. No. You either use it or lose it. So what are you doing? You see, friends, giving to God helps us do three things. It helps us conquer greed. It helps us to properly manage God's resources. And it opens us up to receive God's special blessing. God loves a cheerful giver. Where do I get that from? I used to hear that from a pastor that I served under, Jock Hendricks. Jock Hendricks was always get up, and right before the offering, he would say, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm like, Jock, why you got to say that right before the offering? I mean, it's true, but, but he is. Are you giving cheerfully? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read, I want to read a verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, because I went in search of that. God loves a cheerful... Okay, John, where does it say that? Where does it say that? In verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. But look at what verse 10 and 11 say. He who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Wow. So as we give and as we do ministry... There should be thanksgiving to God, amen? It's just not about us. As we go and we serve in two weeks, as we serve the folks at Firestone, we want to go and be a blessing. Why? And they're probably like, why are you doing this? Because we just want to be a blessing. We want to remind you, hey, you have to work on Sunday. We get that. You have bills and, and you've got to work to make ends meet and this is your day to work. But you know what? We love you and Jesus loves you too. Because you know what? Jesus is all about loving those that the world thinks shouldn't be loved. Now, who have you loved this past week? Who have you walked toward instead of away? Are we reflecting the love of Christ? But then I want you to look back at verse 6. Verse 6 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What are you sowing? Listen, friends, Solomon is not saying you give to God and you'll get rich. No, that's not what he's saying. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The New Living Translation says with good wine. Because, friends, our God is a good God. It's not just a run-of-the-mill wine. It's not just the $5 wine, but it's the good wine. 
But he's not saying you give to God and you'll get rich. No, that's the TV preachers and that's the lie that people are believing in the prosperity gospel. Solomon is saying that in reminding us that the Lord will tell us, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Friends, teach your children, teach your grandchildren the generosity principle. Somebody taught you. Somebody taught you. And friends, give of your time and your talent and your giftedness. Let's look at our last life, basic life principle. It's found in verses 11 through 12. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Here we find the submission principle. The submission principle. Again, Solomon is calling out, my son, my son. It's a reminder. He says, do not what? Do not despise. Some translations say, do not reject. Ultimately, do not refuse the Lord's discipline. What does it mean to discipline? It means to teach or to train. It means to teach or to train. He says, or be weary. Be weary. Some translations say loathe. Be grieved by. Be anxious about. Another way of looking at it is, don't dislike it greatly. The reproof... For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. So what does it mean to reproof? We talk about that. The word of God is there to teach and to, and to preach and to rebuke and to reprove. So what does it mean to reproof? It means to rebuke. It means to correct. It means to punish. And there is chastisement. Listen, a rebuke. What is a rebuke? So we talked about a, uh, we, don't you love it when somebody tries to define something and they use the same word or a similar word and you're like, that just does not help me at all. Don't know about y'all, that happens to me. So a rebuke is to express sharp disapproval. It's to be criticized. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but do you like to be criticized? Do you like to be disciplined? No. I don't like it any more than you do either. Like I said, I'm, if you're like me, then I'm sure you don't like to be disciplined. You don't like to be corrected. You don't like to be criticized. But when it's your heavenly Father doing it, He is doing it for your good. He is making you more like Jesus. He is making you more like himself. Sin separates. God corrects. We confess and God forgives. You see, friends, he brings us back into a right relationship with him. He makes things new. He makes things new. Dr. Trailer reminded me, and I want to remind you this morning, when God brings discipline, you bow to it. You learn from it, and you are corrected by it. 
Hebrews 12.6 quotes this verse, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Every son of God has been to the woodshed. And He doesn't want to go back. Now for those of you that are in the under 60 crowd this morning as we had them raise their hand, the woodshed is a place for administering discipline. It was, a, it was a private place. And that's somewhere that you didn't want to go. For me, it was the principal's office. As I told you a few weeks back as we talked about Croswell and us ministering to them, how interesting it is that God could take a, a young man who was in fifth grade who was mouthy and thought he knew everything. And I got written up, and I got written up, and I got written up. And so finally they had enough of seeing me written up. And my parents had checked the little box that you used to check back then that said, you can administer corporal punishment. Check. That was not pleasurable. Right? It was painful. It's somewhere I did not want to go back. And so as we talk about the woodshed, as we talk about the principal's office, discipline is not a wounding. It's there to correct us. You see, you think about a child. The reason you correct them when they're near the stove is because you don't want them to be burned. If you have children, you must correct them or admit that you do not love them. The same applies to our Heavenly Father. We're a child of His and He has to correct us. If not, He does not love us. Every child, every believer must be corrected. Oswald Chambers, great mind, wonderful devotional, his utmost for his highest, my utmost for his highest. He wrote a devotional called The Way to a Permanent Faith. And it's talking about discipline. And he quotes John... 1632, it says, Indeed the hour is coming that you will be scattered. Now listen, Jesus was not rebuking the disciples in this passage. Their faith was real, but it was disordered and unfocused and was not at work in the important realities of life. The disciples were scattered to their own concerns and they had interests apart from Jesus Christ. After we have the perfect relationship with God, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, our faith must be exercised in the realities of daily life. Here's what I want you to hear. We will be scattered not into service, but into the emptiness of our own lives where we will see ruin and barrenness. Friends, we will be disciplined by Almighty God so that we might know God's blessings and what God's love means. Are you prepared for this? It is certainly not our own choosing, but God engineers our circumstances. He engineers our times of correction to take us there. And until we have been through the experience, our faith is sustained only by feelings and blessings. But once we get there, no matter where God may place us or what emptiness we experience, what correction we have to bear we can praise God 
that all is well. There must be correction. Listen, I want you to look really quickly back in Proverbs. If you hopefully still left your finger there or a piece of paper there. In Proverbs chapter 3, we see that Solomon is saying, he's, he's talking to his son again. And he says, um, he says in verse 21, he says this, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Adornment for your neck. As we close out our time together this morning, I want to just ask you a few questions. I want you to just take a few moments to listen. See, thus far we've talked about the obedience principle. We're reminded, do not forget my teaching. Solomon is telling his son, keep my commandments. As I read through this list of these six things that we've touched on, let's ask you to be still. Just, you can pack your things in just a moment. But just think on these things. And what is God, where is God's finger? Where is God's touch in this list of where he needs you to surrender? Where in this list are there things that you may need to confess to him that you don't want to go to the woodshed? You don't want to go to the principal's office, but God, help make me more like you. Amen? To rid me of myself, to rid me of the sinful things in my way. So listen, obedience, the obedience principle. Do not forget my teaching. Keep my commandments. Are you obeying the Lord? The kindness principle. Are you, are you keeping kindness in the two most important places? Are you keeping it around your neck? Are you keeping it in your heart? Are you, are you showing it outwardly? Are you letting it resonate inwardly? The Lordship principle. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Is He the Lord of your life? Is he guiding you or are you guiding yourself? The humility principle. Be not wise in your own eyes. Generosity that we talked about today. Honor the Lord with your wealth and your first fruits. Are you giving God your best? Or are you just giving him what's left over? Submission. Are you submitting to his discipline? Are you, are you just saying, okay, God, I don't want to reject your discipline anymore. And friends, if, if, if you struggle with that this morning, straight from the text that we read, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Listen, for whom he loves and for whom he delights, he disciplines. It's time. It's time. Have you dug in? And if you resisted and fought going to the woodshed to be corrected by Almighty God. 
pray with me this morning? Father God, I pray as we've preached through these basic life principles, God, what a reminder as we just sit down in your word of how much there really is. How much we don't know. But Father, how great and sweet you are. Lord, I thank you for the message I heard. I thank you for the message that I could come and bring. But God, thank you for the truth of what you've shown us. Father, help us to obey you. Help us to be kind to one another. Lord, help us to be not wise in our own eyes. Help us to submit to your will and your way. And Father, I pray that we would be generous. You have blessed me richly. You have blessed this church richly. You have blessed many people in this church richly. Father, what difference could we make if we gave it for your glory? Father, and ultimately at the end of the day, you're either Lord of our life or you're not. We either have reverence and respect and authority or you don't. And so, Father God, I pray this morning as we wrap up this series, as we spend a time in prayer, I pray that your Holy Spirit will put your finger on which of these things, one of these your children, is in need of getting along with you and doing business with you. Father, help us to be obedient. Help us to have the courage to know that you correct us because you love us and you delight in us and you want to make us more like Jesus. Father, thank you for all the many blessings. Father, I pray that the things that you've impressed on our hearts and minds that we would take a moment now to just write them before we leave, to write them on our bulletin, to write them in our hearts and our minds, to put them in our phones, and to make, to get along with you and think about what those next steps are. Father, I heard recently that a goal without a plan is just simply a wish. So Father, we wish we could be better people, but We need to get with you and say, how can we be a better person? How can we be more like Jesus? So, Father, I pray that you'd help these folks, that you would help me realize where I am in need of my life, of surrendering to you, so that you can make me more like your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are patient. Thank you that you are loving. And thank you that you're merciful. Father, guide us in spirit and truth this coming week. Help us to be a vessel of hope and encouragement and light to those you place in our path. Father, we thank you and we love you. For it's in your son's holy and precious name I pray.